Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow The Lines on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow our sub and co-host today at Andres one on Twitter. Mo is at a poker tournament, I think, something like that. He's still our MLB baseball betting savant. So be sure to follow him on Twitter, even though he's not on the podcast today, at Mo Noir. And of course, you see Steven is repping his baseball gear. He's a Phillies fan. For better or worse, we'll touch on that in a moment. But before we get into it, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the Lions releases a new sports betting video on any market, including our NFL day-to-day bets. And you can also find those in the Discord channel. I have one that I'll get to in a second. Got the best of the number, I think, so far earlier in the week. So we'll see how that goes. But you can find all of our bets and get notified when any of the line staff members places a bet by heading over to the Rolls channel in the Lines Discord. The link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. Beat the closing number is 15-8 and eight on the season with spreads and totals. Steven? I would say good luck to your Phillies, but I am not rooting for the Phillies in the NLCS, and I will not lose my money betting against them this time around. Nevertheless, I still wanted to wish you and Mo, even though he's not here, (laughs) our beloved Braves fan, a happy Red October still on October 16th. And who knows? I checked the World Series schedule. It might be a happy red November, too. So we'll we'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, buddy. Glad to fill in here. And it should be noted that even though last time Mo missed this show, he was final table at a big poker tournament. He is playing poker, but technically he used a day off in his uh, in his in his work calendar here. So he's not just playing hooky because he's at a poker tournament. He did officially go the HR route and apply for a day <laughs> off today. So we'll allow it. Hats off to Mo. We wish him the best of luck using that day off to play some more poker. Congrats to Mo for, <laughs> for going the HR route this time around, like in week three or whatever week it was. But looking back at week six quickly here, Steven, few bets for me that cashed, well, one that didn't to start off on Thursday Night Football, lost by the hook, but Broncos were also outgained by 1.6 yards per play and got some positive variance because the Chiefs decided to run a fake field goal instead of giving the ball to Patrick Holmes in the red zone. But I digress. Broncos plus 10.5 for me did not cash. You got the best of the number. I think at a couple bucks, there was Denver plus 11. Ravens minus 4.5 got home, so maybe... A bit of variance there, kind of washed out with the Broncos bet. Commanders, I beat you. You had the Falcons. Yeah. I took Washington plus two, plus one and a half, and the Giants on Sunday night football. Maybe should have went out right, but plus 15 and a half got home pretty comfortably. So how did your week six bets go, Steven? Oh, I I got murdered. Uh, It was my worst week of the year by far. Thankfully, dropped me still to 500 on the year on the on the post-it plays that we put in our Discord channel. But uh, I'll focus on two games in particular that uh, I had the same bet as Mo, and I know you guys talked about this on the show last week. So we'll we'll touch on those. The first was Texans. Uh, Mo had money line. I took the teaser leg. Clearly, we were on the right side on that one, I think. Um, you know, CJ Stroud looked really good. Derek Carr continues to unimpress, and the pressure rate of the Saints just is still not very good. So I don't know. That Saints offense should be better than it is. I don't know why it isn't. I 
can tell you my guess. I think it's because Derek Carr is the quarterback, and I think their coaching staff isn't all that great. I actually, I, I know I'm not alone in our staff in believing that uh, if Jameis Winston at some point were the quarterback, they might actually be better in this offense with him at the helm. Um, maybe a little more volatile, but I think a higher ceiling than if Derek Carr was the quarterback with the weapons that they have around him. So I want to continue to try and find ways to fade the Saints, and I thought the Texans are a team on the up and up. I even went as far as to fire another um, futures bet on the Texans at plus 335 before last week to make the playoffs. And part of that's because of just how manageable their schedule is the rest of the way. If you haven't seen it, go take a look. It's a pretty easy schedule after they finished last place a year ago. The other bet was one of the more frustrating outcomes I've had in NFL betting in a long time. And I'm sure Mo would have said the same because he was also on Seahawks plus three with me in that game against the Bengals. And him and I were pretty in sync going into that game, Eli, that our handy before even we saw how that game played out, our handicap was people are being premature and saying the Bengals are back because the offense really didn't look all that sharp, even though they beat Arizona. They were the beneficiary of a pick six in that play. We thought the if you draw a line through week one of the Seahawks, that they had a pretty strong resume and matched up pretty well against the Bengals and the Bengals defensive metrics overall this year were down from, from previous years. And you've noted multiple times that they've lost some talent on the back end there in their safeties. And then the game played out and pretty much all that went in line with the exception of the Seahawks punching it in and five red zone trips. The Seahawks were extremely unlucky, in my opinion, going one for five in the red zone, and four of those red zone trips were inside the 10-yard line, and they walked away with only three points out of those four goal-to-go situations. They also outgained the Bengals by 1.4 yards per play. For those unfamiliar with yards per play, that's a massive discrepancy. That is a Usually you see that and the team with plus 1.4 yards per play is winning that game easily. It just didn't go our way. And the Bengals won that game. And, um, you know, but I, I feel pretty confident in saying, Eli, that the handicap was good. The results didn't go our way. And I'm curious what you think, but. I felt like the pregame handicap was correct, and if these two teams played again this week, I would bet Seahawks plus three again. I don't know if I would, but I'll get to that game in a second. So one thing that you noted with the Texans, pretty reasonably easy schedule the rest of the way. If you look at remaining strength of schedule, at least per my ratings, Falcons have the easiest, then it's the Saints, then the Texans, then the Colts, then Carolina, then the Bears, Rams, Lions, Jags. So, so easiest in the Houston, AFC. Yeah. No, it's a pretty – and Indy's right there too, and that's a pretty jumbled-up division even though Jacksonville is 4-2. and two. We'll see what happens with the status of Trevor Lawrence and the knee injury, which we'll right. touch on that game, Saints-Jags, in a second. But definitely with you on the fact that the Saints or the Texans, along with the Saints, have a pretty easy schedule moving forward. Going back to the – Bengals and Seahawks game, though. Cincinnati was the fourth defense since 2020 to have four players generate at least six pressures in a game. So Seahawks offensive line, even though they had a couple 
starters come back in that game. I think Charles Cross, their left tackle, was back. Damian Lewis, I believe, was out. So one of the three guys that was questionable heading into the week that didn't play. But Hubbard and the rest of that Bengals defensive front was able to get a ton of pressure. And if you also think back to last season, do you know Smith had the highest interception drop percentage among qualified quarterbacks? So it doesn't mean that total regression comes back the other way. I think the Vikings are maybe the prime example of that. We don't necessarily always see that. Maybe the Packers from a couple years ago were the counter to that argument. But Geno Smith made a couple poor throws and they were converted into interceptions. And the Bengals also got pressure on an offensive line that probably should have been exposed to the degree that the Giants exploited the Bills' offensive line last night. The Giants weren't able to get much pressure a couple Mondays ago against a banged-up Seahawks offensive line, and we saw the Bengals get home yesterday. So I agree that yards per play is a very much so a big determining factor in a, when you look back at results, and I want to get to four games, including Bengals and Seahawks, that played into that metric yesterday in week six, but I think the also the battle in the trenches plays a big role too, and Cincinnati got the best of Seattle's offensive line in that degree and made the most of it in terms of generating pressure and forcing Smith into a couple of erratic decisions. Yeah, I, I will concede that Geno Smith just is not it, right? Like, at best, he's a league average quarterback at this point, and he is prone to mistakes. Um, I just... I think you you could probably count on on one hand the number of times the team has four goal to go situations and only comes out of that with three points, even with a bad offensive line. So um, even if he just kick a field goal on that first one, then they're not going to be trying to go for it down four late in the game and field goals are good at that point. So um, I guess agree to disagree on that one. I'm, I'll just say this. When the Bengals come out of their bye, I'm going to be very curious what that spread is against the 49ers, depending on how healthy – Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey are uh, because if they're going to go back, if the market's going to go back to rating the Bengals like they did coming into the season before Burrow was hurt, and we're going to get a moderate number here on the 49ers, I'm probably going to be backing the 49ers. So we'll, we'll just see how that, how that goes next week. And speaking of potential line movement, we've seen some significant line movement in a couple of games among the four that we're not going to discuss or that we are discussing later on in the Beat the Closing Number podcast. Four games that have interest for Steven and I. One of note for me, I have a bet on Lions and Ravens that we'll get to in a bit and a few games for Steven that he either has a bet on already or may have a bet later in the week. But a couple of other games that have been adjusted, whether it be the look ahead line or the reopen line from Sunday night Raiders and bears out from Raiders minus one on the lookout line to Raiders minus three. And not that big of a surprise when you look at the injury report, at least as of this recording, nothing for sure, whether Justin Fields is going to play or not this week, but at least in terms of the market, the market expects him to be out as of this recording. And he's dealing with that thumb injury that forced him out of the Vikings Bears week six game. And Eli, so that's a big. As of eight minutes ago, as we record this on Monday afternoon, Eberflus did come out and say Justin Fields is going to be doubtful for week seven. Okay. So there you go. So that pretty much confirms it. And you go from Fields to Tyson Badgett. 
So that's a much bigger discrepancy, at least the market believes so, and I think we both would agree with the market, than Garoppolo to Brian Hoyer. And we saw the Raiders, albeit get a little bit lucky with the Mac Jones safety for Raiders batters that ended up covering the Patriots and, and Raiders game yesterday. Fields to Badgen isn't or is a much bigger difference than Garoppolo to Hoyer. And then the other game of note, and you kind of touched on this. I think the market is in agreement with you with Bengals Seahawks and that result playing into Seahawks Cardinals in week seven. Seattle down from an eight and a half point home favorite to seven and a half, even against the lowly Cardinals that struggle to move the ball against a pretty exploitable Ram secondary and we're seeing eight sevens, but either way, it's down from the reopened adjusted line from the look ahead at eight and a half that we saw on Sunday night. So any notes for you on those two games before we get into the three or four that stick out to us? I think it's pretty clear after the first month of the season where the Cardinals were pesky to some teams that they're coming back down to earth and the market thinks they're back down to being a, a pretty solidly bottom three team. Um, I think that's why you're seeing this number move out. Let's not forget that the Rams were seven point favorites against the Cardinals. And uh, now are, we can have a discussion about this later in the week, but it's at least notable that despite that result for the Seahawks, they are being uh lined here as a team that's slightly better than the Rams I think that should that would be appropriate uh given the talent on both sides of the ball even though I would take the Rams offense in a heartbeat right now um so whether you think that's appropriate or not depend will we'll determine whether you bet on the Cardinals to cover this bigger number than what they were last week against the fellow division opponent and you know we'll see about Raiders Bears it's just this board is setting up to be frustrating for me this week, Eli. Um, you know, Raiders out the three on the road, which typically is like auto bet the other side with Josh McDaniels, but you have an undrafted rookie quarterback and the Chicago Bears on the other side. So it's not exactly inspiring confidence to bet on that, uh, regardless of whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo plays or not. And um, you know, as of as of this afternoon on Monday, Adam Schefter is saying that Jimmy G is going to have follow-up tests after he was taken to the hospital during the game to just check on if he had internal injuries or not. Uh, so very much up in the air what quarterback's going to play there. I don't know how anybody can be confident about handicapping that game with the quarterback situation. So, yeah, I think that's just the theme this week. I think, um, you know, we'll talk about some of these games and quarterback issues are going to make things very difficult on the handicapping side of things. One thing to note, too, just with the Bears' defense, performed much better and maybe got the worst end of the stick when it came to turnovers and field position as a result. They got Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson back, and as a result, their their run defense, I mean, run defense going into the game, I think, was already right around the middle of the pack. So I'm not saying I'm going to bet the Bears, but... Around the key number three, you at least have to consider it, even with the talent drop-off between Fields and Badgett, along with the fact that outside of a two-game sample size against an exploitable commander secondary and Broncos defense that's been abysmal, despite the fact that the Chiefs couldn't take advantage on a short week, I don't know. I'm not super sold on this adjustment, but maybe that's just me. I but think, if I you're, think we're at least agreed yeah. that at these numbers, it's never Josh McDaniels, right? On the road. Yeah. Yeah. You don't lay the three for sure. But if you're planning on betting the Bears, maybe like me, maybe like Steven or not, or any other week seven game 
First time users with BetMGM Sportsbook can use the bonus code ALINES to get up to $1,500 back in the form of a bonus bet if your first bet loses. Remember that. Bonus bets are not equivalent to real money, and as always, terms and conditions apply. For more details, head over to thelines.com. So first game, that's of interest to you, Stephen. Jags at Saints after sitting at a reopened number of Saints plus one and a half. So the Jags were slight favorites on the road on a short week. And the spread has flipped because Trevor Lawrence has a knee injury that may keep him out of this game. Ian Rappaport coming out earlier this morning. Nothing definitive on Lawrence's status. Kind of saying hopeful that he plays this week. So truly, I would say 50-50 at this point. C.J. Beathard, former Niners quarterback, is Lawrence's backup. And the Jags, one of the games that of the four, and one that you mentioned was Seattle outgaining the Bengals in yards per play. So that was one of the four games that I kind of teased that had a result like that. The Jags gained 233 yards on 3.8 yards per play against the Colts. So they were outgained in that metric, but they benefited from turnovers, which I'll touch on in a second. The Commanders were the third of those four games with teams that were outgained in yards per play, but won by a definitive-ish margin. Washington with 193 yards on 3.9 yards per play. The Bengals were the third of those four teams and that you already touched on, and the Vikings. So Minnesota gained 220 yards on just 4.0 yards per play. And the would-have-been fifth team of that group would have been San Francisco if they had hung on against the Browns and hit that potential game when he field goal in the final seconds. The Niners with 215 yards on just 3.9 yards per play. So outgained in that department despite facing P.J. Walker. And the four teams, so Jags, Commanders, Bengals, and Vikings, that all won despite getting outgained in yards per play, combined to win the turnover margin 12-3, to And like I alluded to, each of those teams covered and won outright. But back to Jag St. Stephen, with the uncertainty of Trevor Lawrence, what do you make of this game? So I I clearly uh, was a little premature in betting this. Uh, You know, for context here, after the game, Trevor Lawrence was quoted saying that his knee, quote, feels pretty good walking around. All right. I can't really say much now, but want to make sure everything's checked out before they play against the saints. Uh, the quote continued. It's a little bit bruised too. So just trying to kind of sort through what it is right now. End quote, uh, that followed up a tweet from, or that preceded a tweet from Ian Rappaport on Monday afternoon saying that he's getting an MRI, MRI on that knee currently described as day to day. The belief is no major injury for Lawrence, who finished the game. It's a quick turnaround on Thursday, but the hope is he's okay uh, for that game against the Saints. And the market has reacted to basically put this line in the middle of whether Lawrence plays or not. This was about minus one and a half, minus two for the Jags on the road. Before this Rappaport tweet, now we're back about three and a half, four points the other way. It seems like the market is kind of hedging outcomes here, uh, to use your term, Eli, 50-50 on whether he plays. Based on what I saw, I still would lean more that he's probably going to play in this game. The fact that it's a Thursday night game makes it a little tougher, um, 
but he did finish the game, I, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, and I'm not too concerned about the yards per play difference in that game against the Colts. Jags got up really big in that game with the turnovers from Minshew. If you look at the first half yards per play, the Jaguars offense was above average in the first 30 minutes. And then they kind of just, you know, coasted to the finish line in the second half, which happens a lot. So I'm not too worried about the overall yards per play discrepancy there. So obviously my bet was premature. I bet uh, the Jags as a pick when I saw Lawrence's reaction to the injury after the game, the market at least at this point disagrees with me. So I still would not be interested in the Saints, Eli. This, This team has been near the bottom of the league in yards per play near the bottom of the league in pressure rate defensively. I think the defense is good, but I don't think they're as good as maybe the top five advanced metrics are indicating based on the quarterbacks that they've faced this year. So if Lawrence plays, even if he is less than 100%, I still want a piece of the Jags in this game because I just am of the belief that the the Saints are a product of their schedule and the quarterbacks that they've faced, and I want to fade them as, as much as I can, especially when they're facing a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. So my advice would be keep an eye on the keep an eye on the news. Um, if Lawrence plays, I think the Jags close as a small favorite on the road in this game. And you should have time to, you know, get them as a at least a point or two underdog if you're if you're paying attention to the news. Yeah, I'm not gonna have any bets on this game, especially with the market already making a dent. With the total, the under would have been the look for me. But one note, conversely, you mentioned that the Saints haven't gotten a lot of pressure. Jacksonville, 56 pressures through six games, 21.4% pressure rate and 12 sacks. The fifth best rating among pressure rates in the NFL. Buffalo and Miami tied for third and Detroit and San Francisco tied for fourth. Kansas City and Philadelphia amongst the highest in the league, which isn't much of a surprise. So Jacksonville's defensive front is getting a lot of pressure, and we saw Derek Carr really struggle in that regard against Houston in Week 6. On to a game that we're kind of on opposite ends of one another, Stephen. Lions at Ravens. This line was Baltimore minus 2.5 on the look ahead. It was 2.5 as of this morning. I grabbed one of the final remaining Ravens minus 2.5s, and I'll get to my handicap in a moment. But we're now sitting at a juiced Ravens minus three. So the market has taken a liking to Baltimore despite Detroit winning four straight games. Biggest thing for me, this is while I'm high on the Ravens, and for those that are unaware, I have a Super Bowl future bet on Baltimore going back to May, finally getting the benefit of some positive turnover luck with the opposition so far this season after what we've seen over the last couple of years, but also a fate of Detroit for me. So Detroit grades top 10 in both opposing EPA per play and actually not top 10 in opponent success rate, but still above average, ranking 12th. They've allowed the 12th lowest opponent success rate. They have faced so far in week one, a Kelsey-less Kansas City offense, then Seattle in week two. So considering the fact that Seahawks underperformed yesterday against the Bengals. And while we're both not the biggest fans of Geno Smith and maybe that Seahawks offensive line, still a talented Seattle offense, especially Seattle at the skill position. Seattle scored a ton of points in that game too against the Lions. Right. Won in overtime as a dog. Week three, Desmond Ritter. Week four, Jordan Love. Week five, Bryce Young and the Panthers. 
week six, Baker Mayfield, who has historically struggled and then some against pressure. They have allowed 5.7 yards per pass attempt through six weeks, just to kind of tack on to the metrics EPA per play overall and opponent success rate. Their secondaries without Emmanuel Mosley and CJ Gardner Johnson likely for the rest of the season, possibly no Brian Branch, their rookie nickel cornerback for this game. So take that into account with maybe the metrics stating that the Lions defense is better than what the expected outcomes would be against average or above average competition. And then you factor in that the Ravens went two for nine in the red zone over the last couple of games against Pittsburgh and Tennessee two for nine in red zone efficiency and Lamar Jackson on the season, 7.4, at least yesterday, I should say 7.4 yards per pass attempt. I think Todd Munkin figures this thing out. I think the lions are overvalued, not only metrics wise, but from a market rating standpoint, I haven't completely finished up my ratings going into the week, but under the key number three, I had to bet that also lions injured, Offensively, with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs potentially out for this game. Away, maybe going to be back for the Ravens up front, but either way, Baltimore top 10 run defense, regardless of whether he's back or not, dating back to last season when they got Roquan Smith. I'm pretty high on this Ravens team, like I alluded to from the get-go, Stephen. I would take this at a key number 10 times out of 10, under three. How are you betting this game? We're, we're quasi on opposite sides here. I, I took the teaser leg early. Um, again, I was wrong this time uh, predicting what the market would do. I, I didn't think this would get the three with how impressive the Lions have been. I certainly acknowledge your point about the schedule that they've played, but also will note that they're winning by large margins here. So they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do against these teams and and outperforming the market expectation based on what the spreads have been. They've won by 14 against the Falcons at home. They won by 14 at Green Bay. They win, quick math here, 18. We win by 18 against Carolina. Uh, with a lot of injuries the Lions had in that game, they still won by 18. They win by 14 at Tampa Bay, who was coming off of a bye week, too. So I don't... I, I understand the schedule has not been all that difficult for the Lions defense, but they're outperforming expectations, which traditionally has been a sign of a very good team. And if we are going to look at advanced metrics, it's clear Jared Goff has been better than Lamar Jackson. And maybe some regression is coming for Lamar. They've had some some bad red zone luck. Um, but I don't know what you think, but just watching this offense, it just seems off at times. I don't know how else to put it because if you if you look at the advanced metrics, they're still pretty solid. I mean, the Lions have the number 6 offense by EPA. Baltimore is only 14th. But if you go by success rate, it's a little bit closer there. The the Ravens have the number 7 offense by success rate. The Lions have the number 8 offense. So down to down, the Ravens are still moving the ball offensively. They're just not getting as many chunk or explosive plays as, as the Lions are. And if you look at the quarterback advanced metrics, Lamar still is kind of sitting at slightly above average if you go by EPA and completion percentage over expected. And, and Jared Goff is around top five right now. So 
I'm impressed by the Lions at this point. They have exceeded my expectations at this point. And if we're going to knock the Lions for their schedule and winning by margin in those four straight wins that they have, then don't we also have to knock the Ravens for losing an overtime game to the Colts against Gardner Minshew and completely imploding against the Pittsburgh Steelers in a game that they absolutely should have won there. And then even against the Titans in London, I mean, they should have won that game by two touchdowns and they just couldn't. Lamar throws a pick that should have been an easy throw. They can't convert in the red zone. They kept the Titans in that game a lot longer than they should have. So I want to like the Ravens, Eli. The, The metrics tell us that this is a a well above average team, maybe a second tier team in the NFL, but they certainly haven't been anywhere near as consistent as the lions have. So that's why I was more comfortable on the lion side of this, taking the teaser leg out. If I was just betting it straight up now, I'd probably lean the lions plus three here to be honest with you. But um, yeah, I just, we're, we're just oppo on this one. It seems. So going back to the Colts Ravens game, Baltimore was very banged up in that one. True. A lot of starters out. Market was overvaluing Baltimore, at least to me. I didn't bet it. I probably should have in hindsight, but hindsight is also 2020. So what are that, you going to do? That's fair. So what's the excuse for the Steelers game then? Negative variance. And you're four and two with those two results in mind with a healthy Lamar Jackson at this point. So to me, I go back to my ratings and Detroit has gotten pretty lucky when it comes to the schedule. And yes, they've sure. beaten the market's expectations, but what happens when you play an above average team on both sides of the ball? We'll see. Cause I think it's going to be, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily saying I'm going to take Baltimore alt numbers here, but to me, this reminds me a lot of 2021 when the chargers were overvalued by the market. I think the spread was very similar chargers, Ravens, and Two completely different schemes. You also had Greg Roman and Todd Munkin has been more like Greg Roman than I would like to see at this juncture of the season. Hopefully he figures it out. But I see an overvalued Lions team in the same sense that we saw an overvalued Chargers team at that juncture of the season. I don't want to harp on this too much because we have other games to talk about. But just the last thing I'll say about that Steelers game is they had some, some bad luck go their way with drops. But also, they had some good luck with a muffed punt in a goal-to-go situation, and Lamar throws a completely inexplicable interception. So some of that bad luck was like that's a Lamar's had the some Steelers bad also plays had, throwing the ball. The Steelers he, also had the block punt for the safety. It's true. That is true <laughs> for sure. But like the the Ravens should have still won that game, and they didn't. So. All right. Agree to disagree. We'll see how it goes. I mean, honestly, like we we have different bets, so hopefully it meets in the middle and we both win our bets, right? Like, you know, maybe Ravens win by three and I hit my teaser leg and we're both happy. Right. And that's why it also boils down to what you're, whether it's a rating thing or just if you just do it on paper, what your expectations are for teams moving forward and also your priors. Not that I didn't think Detroit was an above-average football team, but yes, they've outperformed expectations, the market expectations against a schedule that they benefited from. Yeah, they should have another loss. They should have lost that week one game where they got a completely fluky, lucky pick six through Tony's hands. So they are are definitely, their record is definitely better than it should be right now. That's for sure. Hopefully for both of our sake, like you said, Ravens win by four 
And because I put out that in the Discord channel that I would still bet the Ravens at three. So Ravens win by four and we're both happy. And who cares yeah. about what happens? We'll meet you at the bar <laughs> for a drink. Exactly. <laughs> Lions could backdoor and I'll be happy with the result. So the third game we're going to hit out here, Steven, Dolphins at Eagles. This line has dipped in Miami's favor. It was two and a half in favor of Philly on the look ahead. It is now down to two, even one and a half at BetMGM Sportsbook. Remember, you can get a $1,500 bonus bet back if your first bet loses over at BetMGM with promo code the lines. More details over at thelines.com. So there was a juiced Eagles minus one and a half over at BetMGM. Miami posting the top rated EPA per play. Speaking of teams that have beat the market's expectations, Miami is a prime example of that. Jalen Hurts, no. Kind of the opposite, even though his EPA per dropback and success rate are above average. 25th on on targets thrown, so just kind of his accuracy rating, just a bit more in a narrow context at 60.7%. The third most turnover-worthy plays, 14, and the interceptions haven't gone in a positive direction for him in that sense, kind of like to my point about Geno Smith getting the benefit of the doubt last year, second most interceptions at seven on the season. And that costly one on, I don't know why you're forcing that throw into double or triple coverage in the final two minutes when you're up against the Jets made absolutely no sense. So to that point, play calling has been an issue under first year offensive coordinator, Brian Johnson and Hertz decision-making has obviously not helped defense is adjusting to Jalen Hertz. Hasn't helped him either. And including the Dolphins game here coming up in week seven, we talked about easy schedules moving forward. The Texans, one of those teams, along with the Saints and Falcons, that get the benefit of a pretty fairly easy schedule down the stretch. Philly has the third most difficult schedule left, at least per my ratings, at Washington, Dallas at home, then the bye week at the Chiefs. Bills at home, 49ers at home, at Dallas and at Seattle. That is a gauntlet, whether you have, no matter where you have teams rated, if you just look on the surface, that is a very tough schedule coming up. Miami may be outperforming red zone, their red zone efficiency just by a tad. (laughs) 81% red zone efficiency (laughs) or just around that, which is crazy. Eagles are banged up though, so maybe that helps. Miami continued to outperform in the red zone. Darius Slay, Reed Blankenship, he left the Jets game, but Slay didn't play, didn't suit up from the get-go against the Jets. Jalen Carter didn't either. All three of those players, their statuses are up in the air. How are you betting or how are you at least gauging Dolphins and Eagles, Steven? No bet for it yet. Uh, Two things stand out to me here. Um, The Dolphins' offense is obviously bolstered by a lot of just bad teams, you know, right? They're, they're, they're monster statistics are coming against bad teams and bad defenses, chargers, bad defense, uh, Broncos put up 70 on them. Terrible defense, giants, terrible defense, put up 31 Panthers, terrible defense, put up 42. The two kind of defenses that they face that have a pulse. They've put up 24 against the Patriots and they've put up 20 in a blowout loss against the Bills. I would argue the Eagles are in the category of a defense with a pulse. 
And I certainly understand a lot of the points you've already made this season, Eli, about the passing defense regressing and not being anywhere near as what, what it was last year. Maybe last year's pass defense was a product of a different defensive coordinator and an easier schedule. Uh, but at least looking at the pressure rate statistics, although the overall rank of the Eagles pressure rate so far this season is not top two like it was last year, the actual pressure percentage is basically identical to what the Eagles had last year. And they're blitzing 2% less of the time through six weeks than they were last year. So in my mind, the pressure from the Eagles front has been just as good as last year. Maybe it's just not getting home as often because the quarterbacks need to know that they, they get rid of the ball fast and the back half of this defense is just not performing as well as it has in years past. Why did the Eagles lose to the Jets? If you look at that game, I think the Jets defense presented a challenge that the Dolphins defense is going to have a really difficult time duplicating. If you look at kind of the way this game played out, the Eagles get off to their normal script that we've seen over the past year and a half. The Eagles run the ball or they, they get a lead early in the game. They're up 14 six and then they try and run the ball to win the game. You know, maybe not cover the spread, but they're running the ball to try and get to the finish line to win the game. And with a lead against the Jets, they could not run the ball. They ran the ball for less than four yards per carry against the New York Jets. Which is really and that's surprising. an elite run defense. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. But do the can the Dolphins present that? Can the Dolphins replicate what the Jets did if the Eagles do get a lead in this game? I'm not so sure. So um if we look at some of the advanced statistics here of of the Dolphins and the Eagles defensively, we look at the rushing defense in particular, and the Dolphins ranked twenty fifth in rush defense EPA and they rank 26th in rush defense success rate. Even though Lane Johnson is banged up on the Eagles offensive line, I think the birds are going to be able to run the ball basically however much they want. And if they get into a positive game state, they're not going to have to worry about Jalen hurts throwing second half interceptions in this game. On the flip side here, I think it is a complete question mark on whether or not the Eagles' pass defense can slow down the Dolphins or not. Because despite those pressure stats I was mentioning, Eli, Tua is among the league leaders in getting the ball out of his hands very quickly. So it may not matter. So I just think it's a fascinating matchup. I'm not sure how it's going to play out. But if the Eagles are able to run that ball as, as successfully as I think they're going to be able to do, maybe these are longer drives. Maybe the Dolphins defense is or maybe the Dolphins offense is not as efficient. And if that's the case, are we sure the over under should start with a five in this game? That's kind of how I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm that's the bait. That's the bet I am debating at this point. Should I be looking at an under 52 and a half here with the way the Dolphins offense matches up against the Eagles and the way the Eagles we know like to run the ball primarily more than anything? Yeah, from a game script standpoint, I'm with you. And I was actually thinking about it under myself. And the market has already bet it down. It opened at 53 and a half yesterday, and it's down to as low as 52. And remember, you could price shop all totals, spreads, money line odds over at thelines.com. So, yeah, we're in lockstep there. Yeah. And if you think that the Dolphins offense is going to regress in the red zone, even if the Philly, even if the Eagles is about to say Phillies, 
goes to show you how much hate I have for your Philadelphia Phillies right now. <laughs> even <laughs> even though the Eagle secondary is exploitable, if the Dolphins undergo any sort of negative variance in the red zone, that then that definitely benefits the under. I do think the Dolphins' offense is going to struggle to run the ball against this Eagles front. I expect Jalen Carter to be back as well. I think they were just being cautious with him last week. So I I think this is a much tougher ask for the Dolphins to be able to run the ball as, as well as they have. Also to note, Connor Williams didn't play against the Panthers. I, he was also out in that Bills game, so he's been kind of dealing with some nagging injuries this season. The Dolphins center, that's going to play a big role in whether the Dolphins can pass protect at a higher rate than they were able to in that Buffalo game because the Bills were able to get a lot of pressure. And on the flip side of that, I know you brought up that you think the Eagles will be able to run the ball, which also benefits a look towards the under. But the under, I think, also is worth a shot just by the notion that I think the Dolphins will be able to get pressure like the Jets did yesterday. I mean, Miami has the, what, seventh highest pressure rate, and they've been blitzing a lot more than at least what they were expected to going into the year under Vic Fangio. Mm-hmm. If they can get pressure, no Lane Johnson, that was a huge reason why Hurt struggled. Was the Jets, Jermaine Johnson had that either a tip that led to an interception or uh, or he hit Hurts' arm. Either way, Jets pressure was instrumental in the outcome in the second half. And it's, Hurts it's has really... also gone up against a practice squad secondary, man. No, yeah. no Hall, no... No sauce Gardner. I was shocked at, I know Lane Johnson plays a huge role in Hertz's protection, but I was still surprised at how inefficient he was despite the Jets' ability to generate a pass rush with just four rushers. So was I. I bet an alt prop on A.J. Brown to go over 100 yards, and he did, but the turnovers, I agree, I was not expecting. And it's kind of eerie, actually, how similar these defenses are in generating pressure through six weeks, if you go by the, the pressure stats at Pro Football Reference, both are exactly at 25.7% pressure percentage, and both are <laughs> at a t- Miami's at a 20.7 blitz rate, Philly's at a 20.8 blitz rate. I mean, these are basically identical defenses in terms of getting pressure. It's, it's, it's crazy. So the question becomes, which offensive line is going to be able to hold up better against that? On to the fourth game. That we're going to discuss fourth and final one quickly here, Stephen. Niners seven point favorites. There are some juiced six and a halfs at Minnesota. Fun nugget, not that it means anything one way or the other. Minnesota has never been an underdog by more than three and a half points with Kirk Cousins at quarterback. Hmm. Not that it's a surprise that the Niners are a favorite of this much when you factor in how highly the market thinks of them overall this season, but they are pretty banged up. Trent Williams left the Browns game in a boot. Christian McCaffrey dealing with that oblique injury. I think Debo Samuel also left the Browns game in the first half. And if Trent Williams is out, considering how poorly Purdy played against pressure, it could be a bit of an issue with the Vikings blitzing at the league's highest rate. You touched on how Miami nor Philadelphia blitzes that often, even though they generate their fair share of pressure. Minnesota blitzes a lot under first-year Vikings defensive coordinator Brian Flores. But one of the Vikings' outside linebackers, Marcus Davenport, he could be out for this game as he left the locker room after the Bears 
win yesterday in a boot himself, similar to Trent Williams. Purdy, by the way, kind of to the point that I brought up that he struggled against an elite Browns defense, but one that was able to get a lot of pressure. Sixth lowest adjusted expected points added EPA per play in week six in front of only Russell Wilson, PJ Walker, who was his counterpart, Josh Jobs, Bryce Young, and Baker Mayfield, who, like we touched on from the get-go, struggles against pressure. Not a good look for a potential MVP candidate, at least in some better's eyes, going back to last week. Initial thoughts on Niners-Vikings. Well, full disclosure, I am a 49ers fan, which those of you <laughs> watching on YouTube probably makes no sense considering all the Phillies gear I'm wearing. I guess, you know, you can just chalk it up to hashtag bad parenting. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I, as a 49ers fan, I am concerned about this matchup this week. You can't overcome injuries to key players in the NFL at times. And you mentioned the three names and those I would argue are three of the five biggest names that could get injured on the 49ers. The other two being Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, um, you know, Bosa too, I guess, but it, those, the three that are injured are very important keys to the 49ers. And we already have a game on the schedule so far this year where the Vikings were at home playing one of the two or three best teams in the NFL in the Kansas city chiefs. And that was one way action that week on the Vikings that went from around a touchdown all the way to three and a half around kickoff. Now chiefs covered the closing number there. Um, but it, it doesn't surprise me, Eli, that the early week movement here has been on the Vikings and that the sevens are drying up as we record here on Monday afternoon. Part, I don't, I'm not sure we'll get all the way to three and a half like we did in the Chiefs game, uh, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me. Yes, the Vikings do not have Justin Jefferson this time like they did in the Chiefs game, but also the Niners are missing all those key pieces as well. So um, I think this would only be Vikings for me in this game, considering what's going on here with the 49ers injury report. And I may just, I am finger on the trigger right now to bet this Vikings minus or Vikings plus seven. And if I do, I'll share it in the, in the discord. All right. So just to recap my lone bet, and I would still bet this at three, I grabbed a Ravens minus two and a half, which you could find like Steven said in our discord channel, but would still bet it at three. There are some one tens both ways out there on the lions Ravens spread. So be sure to shop around over at the lines.com recap your bets before we get out of here. Um, teaser leg I mentioned uh, with the Lions. It's at three now, so you may just want to take the Lions to cover that three. Uh, but the teaser leg for me was the Lions at plus eight and a half and scrolling oh, Seahawks down to uh, under under the key number of three this week against Arizona. And I am eyeing a Vikings bet if I can get this plus seven. Okay, so that'll do it for our NFL Week 7 bets. Be sure to check out the Megapod with Steven for more of his bets. And we'll have a Thursday edition of Beat the Closing Number. Mo will be back from playing poker and taking his time off formally, according to Steven. Who knows if that's actually true? I'm just kidding. <laughs> and you can head over to play.thelines.com for plenty of NFL free contests where you get actual real money prizes for Monday Night Football and the like. That's play.thelines.com, BetMGM, with the bonus code, The Lines, if you want 
to get a bonus bet of up to $1,500 back if your first bet loses at BetMGM Sportsbook. That's promo code the lines one word. So for Steven at Steven Andres one for myself at Eli Herskovich and for the lines for our parent company at the lines us on Twitter. Thanks for watching and listening to another edition of beat the closing number. So long everybody.